You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 86th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that's been dedicated to social change for over 23 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. In our last program, I interviewed Abigail Lewis from Think Tank Per Capita about the need to invest much more in public housing, especially as a way to deal with homelessness. Towards the end of the program, Abigail and I talked about the need to expand the types of housing occupancy that are on offer and not just stick with private ownership and rental on the one end and social and public housing on the other and then some mm. rental assistance to fill some gaps. Yeah, that's mm. right. So following that program, Shark, you and I had a chat about what's happening with cooperative housing in Victoria. And, of course, we thought it would be a good idea to continue this discussion into this program. Mm. In particular, we wanted to circle back to one of our recurring themes, relationality. The fact that we're essentially relational beings and don't really exist as atomized individuals or even as nuclear families, nuclear being pretty atomistic as well. Relationality was the subject of, of our very first Think Again program. And the theme has resonated throughout many subsequent programs last year. So we thought we'd look at housing through a relational lens today, particularly looking at cooperative housing. Mm, And Shark, I know you carried out some really interesting research on cooperatives in Victoria with Carolyn Overbeek in 2012, and then later, of course, with the city of Darabin in 2013. And this was a borderlands investigation into economic, social and psychological benefits of cooperative housing. I understand this research on cooperative housing was for the Victorian rental housing cooperative sector, or the one in 2012 at least, and it was also a contribution to the celebrations for the International Year of Cooperatives in 2012. So to start with, Shark, could you give us a bit of a picture of cooperative housing in Victoria and also perhaps a bit of a history? Yeah, Cooperative housing is certainly not a new thing. Uh, If you just think about forms, for example, of uh, uh, extended family housing, you could think about that as cooperative housing, Mm. particularly in urban and in in rural areas. Mm. Then there were also some older forms of collective housing. For example, here in Western Victoria, there was the Bruderhof as one of the initiatives. And there were several others, even in the early, in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Then we had, of course, the 70s and uh, the 1970s. And 
intentional community started to spring up. Uh, two examples of that, not still existing so many years later, is the Muramura Cooperative mm. in uh, Healesville and in Common Ground in the vicinity of... Uh, Seymour? Uh, yes, Seymour, exactly. Uh, and then there were other things like the House of the Bunyip and a whole variety of initiatives in this, during the 70s, also uh, in, intending to... Uh, offer caring places for people with disabilities, for example. The N70s then brought the creation of two forms of cooperative housing in Victoria. They differed in funding and ownership. I don't want to really an ownership structure of the housing stock, but I don't want to really go into those. What the idea behind both of, this, of, the, of the, the systems, if you want, our models was that uh, people are offered houses to run those houses and manage those houses as a cooperative. They would therefore make decisions together about improvements or about changes. And uh, the interesting thing about that initiative was that the houses were not spatially together. Mm. They were spread in the normal suburbs. And the reason for that was mm. that uh, it was mostly also for people who were not very rich or who were sort of like uh, had some problems with uh, financial things. And so rather than, for those of us in Melbourne, we have the ways in which public housing was so put out and stigmatizingly put uh, in the middle of existing suburbs as high rises. Yeah. They were for a long time the only high rises. And therefore, they were very stigmatizing. When you went to live in a house like that, everyone knew that you mm -hmm. were homeless or something or had problems. Yeah. And that's what they wanted to avoid with cooperative housing. They actually wanted to make sure that... that, that, that wanted to make sure that uh, people would not be seen to live together in those kinds of places as problem people. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they spread the houses across the suburbs, but for management and other occasions, they called people together. So there was a yes. strong social kind of aspect. So Jacques, they weren't, they weren't living together in, no, on, in the same no. space cooperatively. Mm, that's right, that's right. And did they own those houses? Did the cooperative own the no, houses? The, or the was houses, that... No, owned by the, the government co and managed the, by well, them. There's two versions. One was that the uh, government owned them and left them to the cooperative associations or the cooperatives to run, uh, mm -hmm. and they stayed initially government property. Another mm -hmm. version was that uh, the houses were initially financed by the government but left in the possession of the cooperatives themselves. Mm -hmm. Yep. So those two versions. Meanwhile, that model still existing. There's about 120 cooperatives with well over 2,400 houses. And they do still have two models there. They mm -hmm. call it CIRC, which is Common Equity Rental Housing Cooperatives, where the members are responsible for selecting co uh, cooperative members. Yep. They manage the governance, they influence the housing program and manage tenancy, maintenance and finance. And then there are community managed cooperatives or CMCs. They do the first three things I mentioned, but not the maintenance, finance or tenants tenancy management. Mm -hmm. So the, the latter are mostly occupied by people with disability or other social concerns. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so they are now, meanwhile, together uh, assembled into CEHL, the Common mm-hmm. Equity Housing Limited co-op, uh, uh, Company, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I'll come back to that later. So okay. br- branching into co-housing models, meanwhile, there are also, therefore, home-sharing kind of uh, models among students that they are still around. They spread now, meanwhile, among single professionals who decide to live together rather than individually. And then elderly persons or people with disability who have houses but need some live-in help. For example, Hansa, the Home Share Australia New Zealand Association, which is also a worldwide yeah. movement. So we're talking like a big thing, really, if you think about it. Yeah. There's 110 co-ops, almost 5,000 people are housed in now about 2,000, as I said before, 2,400 in Victoria. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's a lot of information. Yeah, sorry. But but I guess um, one of the main messages that I'm getting out of it is that cooperative housing is a real and viable way of Mm -hmm. better living together. It's not pie in the sky and there are thousands of working examples of it in the past and also current. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. on, on that note, we'll go to some music. We are Are You All Right? by Velatine.
I think Welcome to Country is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was a, obviously an Aboriginal initiative. I think obviously governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that obviously is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people. Because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders, and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy Australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about cooperative housing and really trying to open up our thinking and imagination about better and alternative ways of living together beside the usual private ownership and private rental or social Mm -hmm. and public housing. Yeah. That's right. And Jacques, we've been talking about research on cooperative housing carried out by Borderlands in 2012 and 2013. And what you really discovered through uh, that research and came to understand through that research. Can you tell us what the research concluded about cooperative housing and its benefits for residents very briefly? Well, the benefits were particularly, uh, well, there's about six or seven of them, and I just mentioned them without commenting or elaborating much about them. Mm -hmm. The first one is people were, the people we talked with, because it was very much based on something like uh, 80 interviews, mostly in group interviews, but also several individual interviews. Active participation in the management and in the group of and the organization and participation in community activities. So very much a relational kind of thing Mm -hmm. was pointed out by most people, if about all people, as being what attracted them and kept them in this form of housing. The second one was that they developed a sense of place and being part of a community. In both cases, actually, even where houses were spread out in in the, the suburb, people still felt that for the meetings they had to manage and to have some, uh, you know, recreational kind of thing or or uh, visits, bus rides, and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, they felt that being part of a community was very important to them. Mm-hmm. The third thing was security and stability because people who were in those places, they often had had uh, previously something like seven, eight, nine or ten forms of housing uh, Mm. out of which they were either kicked or which they couldn't pay. And so the security and the stability and the ongoing connections which that produced the uh, cooperative housing. The fourth thing was affordable rents. Uh, one of the rules is one of the rules is really that uh, uh, the the rent should never be more than one third of people's income. Mm-hmm. 
the fifth thing is that they all, most of them felt that they were part of a community with shared values mm. and that one of the values was the sharing itself mm -hmm. uh, rather than just think out of your own unit first and then of the community. So there was thinking about the community first mm -hmm. and how you can be part of that community. Another next one is development of social and work skills. Lots of people who came out of rather isolating, individualized housing, they had not developed a variety of skills. Yeah. And therefore, within the context of uh, cooperative housing, an appreciation of all abilities was nurtured. Yeah. And, and finally, and, yeah. finally, as I just finished that quickly, the mix of ages, and particularly in co-housing versions like Murray, in Dhaka, for example, lots of people they are there to take care and live with kids. Mm -hmm. The role of elders and some new, and, and that also happens in in some new intentional communities, which are sort of popping up here and there, in even in Melbourne. And it is finally important to notice that in countries like Sweden, Holland, Canada, substantial proportions of the population live actually in cooperative housing. Mm. So let's have a pause now and go to a promo and we'll continue, continue our discussion after that. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty not the one you see in victoria not the one you see in queensland not the one you see in the northern territory because they talk treaty and still lock our people up they still kill our people they still desecrate our land and our water a treaty means peace a treaty means equality and a treaty means justice thank you Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on Um, in our chat after the Think Again program last week, we talked a bit about the tension between individualistic and cooperative notions of living and even in cooperative housing where I think you mentioned before it doesn't always necessarily happen. So you and I, we've both come across housing cooperatives where co-owners or tenants seem to revert back to the mainstream idea of individualised living which brings us back to the question of what it means to be in a cooperative. So I know personally years ago when I was looking 
which I still am actually, years ago when I was looking for a housing cooperative to live in, I know I came across a few of them that seemed, they seemed more to do with obtaining bricks and mortar place to live rather than really being part of a community where people intentionally live together uh, cooperatively and and with processes in place to support that cooperative living. So, yeah, I don't know um, what what are your thoughts on that, Shark? Well, the first thing I figure is uh, that we need to revisit what we really meant uh, at the very first of our programs, that rather than look primarily at us as individual beings, we should look at us as relational beings. Mm. And in some important ways, we really, deep down, really never learn in an individualistic society what it means to live together. Uh, you know, we therefore, in one first step, we need to try and figure out how how life would look when we decenter the notion of ourselves as being central to everything else in the way in which we live in the world. Mm. For example, the way we think about our home is usually wrapped around a version of the nuclear family, mm. also associated with the lifespan which we are supposedly as normal people need to go through. Mm. You know, that means that, uh, you know, in Western civilization and our culture, part of growing into adulthood always, always means that we leave the parental family home, mm. even if that's now quite a bit shaken because of the housing cost, obviously. Right. But still, that seems to be the, the ideal which we are pursuing. Uh, so it remains part in which we uh, are supposed to grow up. By the time you're 18 or something, you yeah. sort of like need to get out of the house and make sure that you pull yourself together and that you become a, a, a sort of an autonomous individual of capitalism, basically. Yeah, yeah. and Jacques, I, I guess another big problem that I've encountered with cooperative housing is that residents are still often commuting to their workplaces for their paid work mm -hmm. and they end up just sleeping um, at the cooperative housing place for the night and I guess being around in the weekend. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really help with cooperative living in a shared space or learning how to do this um, with other people better when, when the residents are still very often mm -hmm. putting the bulk of their time, their mm -hmm. energies, their talents and often the best of themselves in the mainstream marketplace in mm. exchange for a wage, mm, which, is, we, and which is hard to get around for most people, including myself, right. <clears throat> which is why mm. I'm really interested in, I'm mm. really interested in cooperative housing as part of an alternative shared economy. Yeah, mm. that's right. It's interesting about the COVID stuff where work from home became such a common thing to do. But uh, what was actually the, the really interesting byproduct of that was that suddenly, certainly in my own case, we started to come to know people in the street. We started to connect up. Mm. So it's quite interesting. Uh, by the way, we also have had several other programs already about work and different ways in which we need to conceive of work, like, for example, cooperative mm. work or... Uh, uh, work which is actually controlled by the workers themselves. So worker-employed or employee-owned kind of cooperatives where you can talk about these matters so that mm. you don't break up the community of your living space uh, in order to go to the individualized workspace and vice versa. Mm. 
Yeah. Mm. So, Jacques, I think we'll leave our, we were also had another topic, but we could probably continue it in another program. So, mm-hmm. And that yeah. was really the question of uh, what do we have to do to bring, bring about truly relational mm-hmm. cooperative housing and cooperative work, of course, Mm. And, and how do we bring it into the main or into the I don't mean necessarily in the mainstream but how mm-hmm. do we bring it into common and accessible practice with each That's other right. rather than mm. just for people uh, we may call label as marginal or needy in some way or hippies yeah. or hippies or something or hippies yeah that's <laughs> right so I think we do have another program in that so mm-hmm. yep. um Perhaps um, you could, we could just give a couple of websites where people could get some information in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. well, if you want to know more, uh, for example, about cooperative housing, go to their, the website of the Common Equity Housing uh, Group or uh, Association or whatever they're called, uh, https uh, colon two forward slashes www.cehl dot com dot au forward slash and then there's the other one the hansa i refer to which is the home share organization mm. again all the https skins and then home share one word home share dot org dot au and you will find all of the information. Mm-hmm. And we or, can put that on our um, program. Yeah, that's um, we will, we will. After our blurb on our website. That's right. Mm-hmm. But you can also subscribe to the new community, yep. uh, our journal, where we quite often talk about lots of emerging and alternative possibilities to run our lives and our communities and our work. And where we can find, you can find links and reflections often by people all over the world, really, who are involved in such alternatives. Yeah, and I guess um, slightly moving away from that topic, uh, uh, I'd, we'd like to make a community announcement mm-hmm. about sharing our Commonwealth better through keeping Centrelink payments at a livable level. When I say keeping them at a livable level, not reducing them further. So currently the federal government's making a decision about the future of Centrelink payments mm-hmm. uh, following um, the COVID wi- gradual winding back of the COVID supplements. And this week we're urging listeners to contact their local federal MP and tell them not to let Centrelink payments like JobSeeker and Youth Allowance go back to the devastating uh, below poverty levels we had pre-COVID. So you can contact your federal, local federal MP directly or you can do it through, um, through the net, through the Raise the Rate campaign website. Just put Raise the Rate in your search engine and I think you press a button, take action, and you'll see how you can help this campaign. But it's a really important to do it at this point in time while this decision is being made by mm-hmm. the federal government. Yep. So, thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening to oh, Think Again. You, are, <laughs> you go ahead, Jacques. Go on. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio. If you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands Borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. We would also like to thank Clive Bourne for technical production and music selection once more. Meanwhile, stay tuned for Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and their friends. 
to bring us into this program, please enjoy World Turning by Yothu Yindi. I've been 